I was thinking about what an amazingly beautiful place that we live in, and especially in a, on a clear day when we can look out in our surroundings and we can see Mount Hood. Do you ever find that you're just sometimes just driving around town and all of a sudden the, the mountain just, it just opens up and it takes your breath away? That's, at least that's what happens to me. It just takes my breath away. I think, I can't believe I get to live here and I get to see this majestic sight every, every day that the clouds are parted, which as we know is not too many days, <laughs> just this time of year usually. But um, it just, it reminds me of this beautiful world that God has created for us. And, and then when I see the sun rising behind the mountain in the morning and the colors that just, this is a view from my backyard and it's just majestic. And then in the evening, the sunset will come and it will just reflect light upon the snow-capped glaciers and give it a pink and a, a blue kind of a hue. And it's just, it's just breathtaking just breathtaking. And so every time I see something like this, it just reminds me of God's creative glory. He just has a way of capturing my attention, and sometimes in the most surprising ways. Now, I want us to imagine. Imagine that you're in my backyard, and it's sunrise. This is 6 o'clock in the morning, so you probably won't be there on that day. But let's imagine we're right here at sunrise. We're close enough to the mountain. And imagine that we're going to be traveling from here to Mount Hood. And it's only 50 miles away. It's not that far. And as we draw near to the mountain, we begin to see everything in perspective, right? We see that the, the hillsides beside it are far smaller than the great mountain. And we see that um, the, there's rivers and there's valleys, but nothing can compare to the size of Mount Hood on the landscape, just towering. But as we draw near, we find there are access roads, we find that we can drive up the mountain and we can actually get to Timberline Lodge. And then once we get to Timberline Lodge, we can take trails. We can get on a path. We can get out of our cars and we can start to engage with the mountain. And we can, maybe we'll bend down and grab soil and touch it with our fingers or we'll pick bouquet of flowers or we'll grab a favorite rock and stick it in our pocket. We begin to actually engage with this beautiful, beautiful place. And I... When we do that, we are no longer then content with just seeing the mountain from a distance because now we've engaged with the mountain, we can smell, we can taste, we can see, and we have a whole different perspective. And I think that this year, that's what's going to happen as we are engaging in the mountain of theology in studying the character and the greatness of God. We are going to be engaging in a way that draws us in, that gives us a tangible touch, feel, smell of who God is. We're going to take a path, and in that path, it might ex demand energy. It might ex we might have to exert ourselves. We might be breathing heavily at times, but we're going to be climbing this theological mountain, and in doing so, we're no longer going to be content with seeing God from a distance we're going to be engaging with him in a really profound way. But, oh, what a view from there, right? The way that we're going to see God's greatness is going to give us a kind of view about who he is that is probably unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Because as we talked about last week, God's going to meet us in his, the study of his word, and he's going to show us a, something about himself that's going to blow our minds. 
Now, in these first two lessons that we're engaged with, we're actually going to be doing a bit of a mountain flyover. We're at 30,000 feet, and we're looking at a couple of things. We're looking at God's greatness, and we're looking at how we can know Him. And then in the subsequent lessons, we're going to dive down, and we're going to focus on different characteristics, His sovereignty, His, his eternality, His um, omnipresence, His love, His grace, His mercy. So... Coming up, we're going to actually go deep and understand things in more particular ways. We're going to take from the Old Testament and the New Testament together to build an understanding of him. But today, I just want to address two questions. Question number one, who is God? And question number two, how great is he? Just a small little topic to discuss, right? Not too too challenging. But I think what we're going to learn is that God is more wonderful than we know. That's what we're going to learn. So let's begin by just talking about who is God. Now, how do we go about studying God? You know, God, he is so vast that our minds are lost just in the immensity of his character. And he is so grand that our humble, our egos are humbled by his eternal greatness. How can we study God? You know, it's one thing if we were going to wrestle with a math problem or if we were going to ponder a science experiment. In those areas, there would be some determined answer. We could engage in the struggle and come to a complete understanding of how to resolve that conflict or that discovery. But when we're talking about God, we're talking about knowing the greatness of God, how do we possibly wrap our minds around this subject? It's a subject that we can barely even begin to understand. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us. If we go to Isaiah 55, verse 8, God tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Did you know that actually studying the Bible will enlarge your thinking and expand your intellect? C.H. Spurgeon spoke about this. He said, he said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. But then he also understood that more than just enlarging our thinking, I say it's a great way to ward off Alzheimer's, but in, in, in more than just that, Spurgeon understood how it impacts the heart as well. And because he said this, He said, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace into the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. We just don't talk like that anymore, do we? I love the way our forefathers used to speak of God. So theology is what we're doing. We're studying God. That's what theology is. It's the study of God. And we're embarking on a journey to know him. We're going to look at scripture to discover who he is. But in the process, we're also going to know how knowing him really affects our own lives, how we are changed in the process of knowing him. And that begins, you know, on a a journey of knowing him today, and it continues throughout eternity when one day we see him face to face. Now, before we begin, there are some things that we need to know about God before we begin our study of knowing him. There are five things that I want to share with you, things that we need to understand about him. First of all, we need to know that God is communicative. 
that he has spoken to mankind and the Bible is his personal revelation of truth and wisdom to us. He speaks to us. He's given us the Bible. It's the way that we're invited to know him. You know, when I was um, a young girl, I believed in God's existence. I grew up growing to, going to a church every Sunday. My, my mom prayed with me at night. She read stories to me about the Bible. I believed that he existed. There was no question about that. But the stories that I learned, of course, were the children's stories, stories of Noah's Ark and stories of the Tower of Babel and all of those great, great stories that I remember. But I didn't really learn how to read the Bible. And so as I got into like junior high and high school and the early years of college, I tried to read the Bible. I tried to glean wisdom from the Bible for my life, but it just didn't make sense to me. It just seemed like a, a foreign language from a distant land. It was mystical. It was ancient. I, I couldn't understand how it applied to my life. And so I let other voices speak into my life during that time. You know, I let my friends speak into my life. I let the culture speak into my life. I let music. For some reason, the lyrics of music really defined values for me, which in the 70s wasn't a good thing. And um, so it wasn't really until I found a church that taught the Bible that I was actually able to begin to understand and to understand God's character and to understand the wisdom that he had for me and for my life and his care and his love for me. And it's really why I'm so passionate about, about women, especially, understanding God's word and understanding it in context and understanding how it applies to our lives. It's just, it's my heartbeat that we understand what he has to say because he has so much to say about who we are and about who we, he is and how we can live our lives following him. And so we just have to know that um, it's not enough just to understand that he exists and to have the sense that he is in the universe somewhere far and away, we have to understand that he's communicative, and he's given us his word, a living word, and it has a message for us every day as we open and engage in his word with him. Um, he wants to speak into our lives, and we need his perspective as we're seeking to live life in a broken world where there's sin and evil all around us. We need to have our, our center on him. Now, the number two thing is that God is Lord and King, he is Lord and King over the world. He rules all things for his glory. His perfection is displayed in all that he does in order that we might worship and adore him. I actually think God probably delights in blowing our minds. I think he gets a thrill when he creates something so dazzling that it takes our breath away. Even when the clouds part and Mount Hood stands in all its glory and he knows that we're going to look and worship him and say, thank you, God, for this world we live in, I think that thrills his heart. Sometimes I wonder if he isn't in heaven going, oh, angels, watch this. And then he speaks something just amazing into creation and everybody celebrates. Because that's who God is. He is creator and he's creative in his nature. He makes masterpieces that are brilliant beyond belief. You know, have any of you ever seen the Northern Lights up close and personal? Well, when I was in my 20s, I was driving late, late at night in Montana from a place called Virginia City, which is a ghost town, so to speak. And they had a, a play, and I was with a friend, and it was black as black as black as night. And I, had, we, I was driving 
50 miles home, and I had to go on a two-lane road over a mountain pass, and all I could see were the stars. It was just, it was a very quiet back roads experience. And all of a sudden, I saw the northern lights. But it wasn't like the northern lights were from a distance. It wasn't like looking over on the horizon and seeing the colors of the northern lights. It was that the northern lights were right above my head. It was amazing. I found a picture that's probably as close to what I experienced for you to see. And go to the next one, because this is what I saw. I laid a blanket on the ground with my friend. We just had to stop. We had to pull over. We laid a blank blankets on the ground, and we looked up in the sky, and it was as if with these refracted colors of light just streaming, making waves, the sensation was as if you were just propelling through space, and the stars were flashing you like this, and they were brilliant colors. And to this day, it's the most spectacular display of God's creative glory I have ever seen. Unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Those are the things where God reminds me, he is Lord and King of the whole earth, and he is an amazing, amazing designer of beauty and creativity. Well, the third thing is that God is also Savior. He is a sovereign and loving Father, and he actively rescues believers in Jesus Christ from the guilt and power of sin and adopts them as children into his family and blesses his children. That's who he is. And we're going to talk a lot more about Jesus next week. So I'm going to let that rest for you to think about and go on to number four. Number four is that God is triune. God is three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the three persons work as in, in different functions, but with one purpose. Now, the idea of God being three in one is very perplexing, isn't it? I mean, how do we, we're, we only know life as one single person. And so how do we think about God as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? No one, I don't think, ever really understands the Trinity. And why would we expect to? This is talking about the innermost nature of who God is. But the Bible tells us that God is three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the best we can do is try to understand who he is and not make distortions along the way by adding our own thoughts. But the thing that we need to know is that each of the entities of the triune God are called persons, and we need to know that both the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are every bit as much God as God the Father. And we need to remember that, especially this year, because we're doing a study on how great is our God. So when we're talking about God, we have to make sure we're thinking about him in the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not doing a study on God the Father. We're doing a study on the fullness of God. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we need to get that thinking. But as we, as we think about these things, we can think of them in their different functions. So for example, God the Father, principally, he is the one who's active in the creation of the world and in planning the great drama of salvation. God the Son, principally, is active in, in um, the, the salva achieving salvation through his death, resurrection, ascension, and the one who is over the church universal. 
And God the Spirit principally is active in calling people to faith in Jesus Christ. He spotlights Christ so we can believe and see who he really is. And then he does the work of sanctification, which is making us to be more Christ-like as we go through a journey of faith. And that, of course, takes many years. So now, of course, that's not exact, but that's how you can think about the three persons, their different functions, but they always work together with one mind. One of our lessons this year is going to be all about the Trinity. So you're going to get to dive into this much deeper and look at Scripture to see how we come to this conclusion. Now, the fifth thing is that God is relational. And he, he invites us to respond to him in relationship. And that is a relationship of faith and trust through Jesus Christ. And this relationship, then, will prompt us to respond in praise prayer and worship and obedience and service. He, he communicates to us. He invites us because he's relational, and we respond. And that's how we have a relationship, because it's reciprocal. It's a give and take. Now, I understand that a lot of us here are in different places in our journey of faith. Some of you have come just to check it out, God. You've come as a spectator, you're listening and you're trying to discern, do I agree with what the Bible says? Do I want to know God in a deeper way? Um, you're here investigating, seeking. And I just want to say to you, I am so glad that you're here. This is a great place to be. And this is a great study to begin this discovery. And so I want you to come and keep coming and bring your questions and just be a part of, of this group. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you shall, it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So keep coming, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. We want to be, to be helpful to you in your investigative journey. Now, others of you are here, and for you, maybe that you, you have grown up in a family where you heard about God. Maybe you went to church for a season in your life. Maybe you... Um, you had an experience in Sunday school, or you, you prayed with your family, but for some reason along the way, you disconnected from him. And maybe you've spent a season or two of your life doing your own thing and letting the world speak into your values, being shaped by other things in how you think and process life. And I want you to know that I'm so glad you're here. And you're here because God has wooed you back. He has brought you here. He loves you, and though you have wandered, he hasn't wandered. He has watched you. He has loved you. He has cared intimately for you, and he wants you to be in relationship with him again. Uh, he's like a father who, when the prodigal child wanders away from home, he, he doesn't hit her over the head when she returns. He throws a party. He celebrates. It's a great, great day. So I'm glad that you're here. Now, others of you have been studying for years. You've been in Bible studies. You've been at the river. You have learned so much about God. You have tasted and seen that he is good. You have trusted and found him trustworthy. You have exhibited faith and found him faithful. You have been actively growing in your faith. And to you, I want to say, hold on. Because God is going to blow your mind this year with the perfection of his nature. He just is. And to you, I think he's going to say, oh, child, watch this. And he's going to reveal something about himself that is going to dazzle you. And so I'm excited 
for this journey that we're on. But I, what I want to say is we're all on a journey. There is no coming to the end of the journey. We're all somewhere along the line of our journey, and maybe we've taken a few steps back and a few steps forward, but it's a journey of growth and of learning and of discovery and of applying and of responding and communicating, relating with God. And so we're all in different places. I'm on a journey as discovery right along with you. And so um, be encouraged that this we're in a process together of experiencing God. Now, how do we answer the question, who is God? It's such a huge question. Let me give you an answer that I got from the Westminster Catechism, because I'm not smart enough to think of an answer by myself on a topic so big. But it's this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's actually written in the first page of your book for this lesson, so if you didn't write it down, it's okay, you've got it. But it's from the Westminster Catechism, and I think it's such a good definition. Basically, there's no one like God. Who is he? He is holy unto himself. There is no one like him. But would you reflect in this beginning lesson on your spiritual journey? Where are you in the journey? How well do you feel that you know God? Are you book smart? Meaning that you've studied a lot and you have a lot of knowledge in your head. You can answer every Bible trivial question. But maybe you're not street smart. Maybe you haven't fleshed that out into applying it to your daily life and living in light of the truth that you know. Or maybe you're street smart. You'd, you have had a great opportunity in your life to exercise faith in really hard places. But you're not book smart. You don't really know what the Bible has to say about who God is or about who you are. Or maybe you're both, or maybe you're neither, but no matter where you are, let's get on the trail together and make a determination that we're going to climb the mountain together and we're going to grow. We're going to see a view we've never seen before. We're not going to be distant from God. We're going to be engaged with him in this journey. So I would like you to think about how would you like to grow in your knowledge of God this year, and then would you pray this week that God will show you himself in this way, that he'll open your eyes to for you to see him just the way you desire to know him. Now, here's the next question. How great is God? That's a big question. Well, thankfully, creation declares his greatness, which we just have talked about. I love that. I'm, I don't know how many of you go to River West as your church home, but Pastor Guy this week talked about Genesis 1. And I love that the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that he's talking about the same thing that we're talking about, in essence, the greatness of God. And one of the things he shared this week was he shared about the heavens and the stars and how God's greatness is seen in our world around us, especially at night when the stars are shining. And he talked about how, to the naked eye, we can only see 2,500 stars, but Actually, in the Milky Way that we're looking up into, there are 80 million more stars than we can see. And beyond that, there are 200 million more galaxies that have so far been discovered. That's unbelievable. It's so vast. There's no end to this creation that God has made. But I love that David, whom we studied a couple of years ago, he was able to discern the greatness of God by looking into the sky without having any of this scientific data. 
he was just able to look and see and know how magnificent God was. He wrote about it in Psalm 8. He said, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? What and the son of man that you care for him? O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, God's greatness is evidenced throughout all of the earth. Can you think about where you see God's greatness beside just in the universe? You know, I think about the power of the waves that crash on the shore, and then I think about all of the creatures of the sea that are underneath. Are any of you scuba divers? And you've seen under the ocean, like, the amazing creativity of life underneath the ocean. I've not seen it, but my husband's a scuba diver, and he, he just tells me how much I would love it. You know, or I think about the power in a storm that, that covers over the earth, just even the destructive power of, of, the, of the world, earthquakes. And, and this morning, uh, one of our leaders said that she was on the road driving from Seattle to Portland when Mount St. Helens blew, not knowing actually if she was going to live because it was so massive. And to experience that, you know, to be so close to that. You know, or you think about um, the numbers of species that exist, you know, the, the fine detail of bugs and spiders and fish and, you know, just all of that. But then you think about the human body. You think about the ability of the human body to even heal. You know, think about liver. Can, livers can regenerate and cells can be renewed and, and the body can heal. I mean, it's just, you know, for any of us who've had babies, just even a human life being born out of our bodies, it's just mind-boggling. It's so astounding, God's creative glory. In fact, in Psalm 83, 18, the psalmist said, you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. There is no one higher than God who's created such an amazing world. So creation declares God's greatness, but also God's people declare his greatness. The psalmist in Psalm 145 said, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So while we can understand that God is great and worthy of our praise, here's the truth. God is incomprehensible. He just is. It's impossible to fully know God. We will never be able to grasp the fullness of his greatness. But what we can do is we can study the revelation of Scripture, which he has given to us to invite us to know him. And when we do that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get a glimpse of his greatness, just a glimpse. And that's probably all we can handle. It's probably all we can ingest is just a slice. I was thinking about Moses. Moses was a man who just yearned to see God's greatness, you know, he had a relationship with God. He understood that God was communicable. He understood that God was relational. Moses was God's chosen servant to, to help God's people, Israel, exit from slavery in Egypt. 
Moses had heard God speak, and Moses had spoken to him in return. And Moses had seen amazing and powerful things. The plagues that fell upon Egypt were mind-blowing miracles. And then the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land, a mind-blowing miracle. He had seen so much of God's majestic power and creative glory. But he wanted more. He wanted to see him face to face. He wanted to just tangibly witness the greatness of God in a different way. So on a different mountain, Mount Sinai, Moses met with God. And in Exodus 33, Moses said to God, he said, please show me your glory. And God replied, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my name, the Lord, but you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Behold, he said, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see, shall not be seen. Now this is Moses. This is a man that the Bible says the Lord used to speak to Moses as a friend speaks to a friend. This is the kind of intimate relationship that they had. But Moses could not see the fullness of God and live because God was just, is just too wonderful to behold. He couldn't see him and live. That's how wonderful he is. So even though for us, even though we will never know God in his fullness, and even though we'll never comprehend really the full breadth of who he is because he is just incomprehensible, we will see glimpses of him because he's revealed himself to us in scripture. He's revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself through his people, through the history of his people. He's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. And so as we, as we put all of this together, we get a glimpse of God in a way that's compelling, enough to know how much he loves us, to know his character, to know his intimate care for us as a father, to trust in his plan for the world, to trust in his plan for our lives. It's everything we need to know about him, but it's only a sliver of who he truly is in the fullness of himself. It's enough to know how great he is. Now, Scripture actually describes God as wonderful, He's wonderful. And I was looking up the word wonderful, and, I, and it, the word actually means arouses wonder. Doesn't that speak of God to you? That he just arouses wonder. It means astonishing, amazing, excellent, marvelous, words that describe God. As we go through scripture, we see things like his name is wonderful, his deeds are wonderful, his testimonies and his words are wonderful, his counsel is wonderful, his plans are wonderful. So we see all these things in Scripture that are, describe him as wonderful. But how do we quantify wonderful? Wonderful is one of those, it's like great. It's, it's one of those obscure words where how do, you, how do you actually quantify? How wonderful is he? How great is he? How do we wrap our minds around that? Well, I want to just give you three things that I think are how we know how wonderful he is. The first one is he, it's what he knows makes him wonderful. The second is what he does make him wonderful. And the third is who he is makes him wonderful. What does God know? Well, what do we know? I think about our smartphones. We have access to the internet. 
Anything that you want to know, all you have to do is pull out your smartphone, go to the internet. Anything known to man can be accessed, accessed by you at any moment in time, and yet it's only a fraction of what God's knowledge is. Only a sliver. You know, you can have access to all of knowledge, and yet you don't know what the future holds. You don't know who you really are. You don't know who God really is. You don't have answers to many of the questions. We don't even know how big the universe is. Just a few years ago, we thought the planet was flat. That's how much we don't know. We don't even know what we don't know, right? Um, we're constantly discovering new and marvelous things, and every time we do, we're astounded. Science discoveries, all these things just continue to point to the, the endless amounts of knowledge that are available to us. But here's the thing. God knows all things. And he knows you and he knows me intimately. He knows us intimately. Every moment of our lives, he knows, for better or for worse. He knows everything in the past. He knows everything in the future that's going to happen, for better or for worse. And not only does he know these things, he cares and loves us so particularly. Psalm 39 tells us that, Psalm 39, verses 1 through 6. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is so wonderful. I cannot attain it. I can't comprehend it. His knowledge is so vast, so great. We'll never hope to understand, but it continues to ignite us to worship him because of his great knowledge. Isaiah 28, 29 says, The Lord of hosts, he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So he's wonderful, and then he's also wonderful in what he does, in what he knows and in what he does. In Isaiah 25, 1, Isaiah said, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Now, we understand that God is wonderful in what he does, when we pray and he answers a prayer, right? We think, oh, Lord, you're so wonderful. I prayed and you answered that. Or when we have a difficult circumstance and then it all resolves really nicely. And we say, oh, God, you're so wonderful. You solved my problem. But how do we trust or believe in God's wonderfulness when really hard things happen? Do we still see the wonder of God when life is difficult? I want to suggest that it's some often in those really, really hard things where we see God's most wonderfulness. I think about in my own life, in my early years of marriage, when my marriage was so incredibly painful. And then later, when my son was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy and we were told how short his life would be, or recently, when my dad passed away, whom I was so close to, and others in my family that I have lost by death that I love dearly. In each of those circumstances, which were so painful and didn't go the way I prayed, in each of those circumstances, 
God met me with his grace in a way that was more wonderful than I could have imagined. In my marriage, he redeemed it. He brought healing and forgiveness and wholeness and love. He restored the broken places and brought us to a place of of just full healing and, and devotion to each other, something that I never imagined 20 years ago in the moment. And it's a miracle to me. And in my son's life, he hasn't healed him, but he's given us grace to walk this journey together. And he's met us in ways and taught us things about himself that we never would have experienced if we weren't in this really difficult place. And the story is still being written. I don't know what the future holds. And even in the death of my father, the way I saw God's mercy and grace just gently transition him from life here on earth to life in in Jesus' presence. I mean, life is painful, and there's all kinds of things that present suffering, but it's in those most difficult places where we see God's wonderfulness, sometimes more than we ever would if things resolved nicely. Because God is a redeemer, He takes the things in our life that are broken and painful and he buys them back unto himself and puts in its place something of himself that we learn that we may not have learned in any other way than by seeing his glory in that moment. He's amazing in that way. And that's because of who he is. The psalmist, if you noticed in Psalm 145, he he praised God, but he didn't praise God because of what he had done or for his knowledge. He praised him for his person. He said, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You see, he's praising God just for who he is, that he's praiseworthy and he's great. And the thing about God, unlike man, is that God is incorruptible. He he is incorruptible. You know, everything we know in life is undergoing corruption. Everything. Sin corrupts everything. Decay corrupts everything. Okay, our bodies are experiencing corruption, are they not? We're getting weak. Our bodies are aging. It's the process of life. And our Our homes and our cars are experiencing corruption. This is why we repair them and fix them and paint them and clean them and try to keep them going. And um, our minds are undergoing corruption. We're exposed to things in our world that we wish we weren't exposed to or stories of evil we wish we didn't know or things we see, pornographic or things on TV that taint our thinking. We're exposed to so much. The world is, is corruptible, but... But God isn't corruptible. He, um, even the planet is corruptible, decaying and deteriorating with pollution. But God is great because he is incorruptible. He is holy. He is set apart. He is separate from all things that are wasting away. He's eternal. He's completely separate from sin. But oh, praise God, he is not separate from sinners because he has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, for unholy people to be forgiven and welcomed into a relationship with a holy God. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. He's personal. He's communicative. He's relational. Back to the mountain where Moses was stuck in the cleft of the rock, where we just left him a few minutes ago. 
God didn't reveal himself to Moses by sight. He revealed himself to Moses by words. He said, you can't see me, but then as he passed by Moses, he told Moses who he was. He gave Moses a, a list of his characteristics. He gave him his word. Now his word is what we have in scripture. It's how he reveals himself to us now today as we look at scripture and God by the power of his Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see him for who he is using words. And that's the same way in which he revealed himself. That's how Moses saw God in that moment was through words. Listen to what God said to Moses. Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, for generations, no, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Moses' response was to exalt God in worship. It was the only reasonable response to God's description of himself. The point is that God is incomparable in his greatness. No one can compare to him. No one can. No one is greater in position than God. No one is greater in power than God. God is above all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how, how does that impact us? What is, difference does that make to us? You know, I think in our world today, there's a question that our culture is asking over and over and over again. The question is, who am I? What is man? Who are we? And there's thousands of books that have been written on the subject of identity. In fact, it's a question that I hear a lot of women ask. Who am, what's my identity? Who am I in Christ? But I think the problem is with our culture is that we're looking at the wrong through, we're looking at life through the wrong end of the telescope. We're looking at life in a way where we have magnified ourselves, that we are of utmost importance, the center of our universe, and we've made God very dismissive and small in the distance. He is like that distant mountain, far away. And we can see how grand he is, but he's only this big through the lens that I'm looking at. And myself, I'm this big. But the, the problem is we're asking the wrong question. And we're asking the wrong people to tell us the answer to the question. The question we should be asking is, who is God? And when we find the answer to that question, then we'll understand who we are. So we have to flip the telescope around, and we have to see God for who he is, and then we'll see ourselves for who we are in right perspective. I want to ask you, have you been looking at God through the wrong end of the telescope? Has he appeared small and distant in your view, like a mountain range far away? Because it's been said that if we look at God through the wrong end of a telescope, we reduce him to pygmy proportions and ourselves to pygmy Christians. But if we will turn the telescope around, we will be astounded by the magnitude of his character in light of our own smallness before him. And that will show us that he is more wonderful than we ever know 
or ever have known. And that's what I want to discover this year. Just how wonderful is he? Can I pray for us before we go out into groups? Father, we can barely wrap our minds around who you are, and I'm so grateful that still in the midst of your incomprehensible person, you are so present and relational and communicative to us. You have revealed yourself to us through your word, through your spirit, through your son Jesus, and we are invited to know you and have a relationship with you. You are not a faraway, distant God. You are a God who cares so personally for each one of us. Each one of us is here by appointment to be in your presence, to meet you, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, to trust and believe in you. And I'm so thankful for how personal you are. To imagine that a God so great that created 200 million more galaxies than I can even see in a telescope is also a God who knows each one of us by name, who counts the hairs on our heads, who knows every circumstance of our lives, and who loves us so dearly. How can we respond to you in such a way as to bring you glory with our lives? Thank you for how great you are, for how wonderful you are. Help us to see you more clearly. May you increase and we decrease in our understanding of you. It's in, our, in your name we pray, amen.